Hello, everybody. I'm back. Anthony Harris with Looking Back, Moving Forward. I normally would put a an episode from a podcast out on Monday of each week. But here in Texas, in the Houston area, we have just had awful, awful weather. I think some people may have been keeping up with that. Ice on the roads, loss of power, loss of water pressure. And today, thank God, we are starting to see some change here. The weather is still pretty cold, but at least we've gotten our power back and the water pressure is starting to build back up. So we're very blessed, very thankful that things are beginning to return to normal. So I am here today to talk a little bit more about what's been going on since our um, our impeachment hearing uh, that happened uh, last week. This is not the impeachment hearing, but he was Donald Trump was already impeached. We're talking about the trial itself. Uh, whether or not to convict or acquit uh, Donald Trump. And I don't think anybody was surprised at the outcome. The um, I think the only thing that was a bit surprising was that seven Republicans um, showed some spine, in my view, uh, and decided that enough was enough, and they were going to vote to convict Donald Trump of, uh, of the charge of inciting insurrection. And, of course, it took a, a, a two-thirds majority, which would have been 67 um, votes to do it. All 50 Democrats voted to convict him and seven Republicans, so that, that's 57. That was 10 shy of what was needed. I don't think anybody was surprised that he was going to be acquitted. And the thing that I like to share with people, I, I, somebody on, on social media the other day was just very gleeful that he was acquitted. And, and I reminded them that being acquitted doesn't mean that you were not guilty. Uh, there's a big difference in being innocent and not guilty. Uh, he definitely did what he, he was accused of doing. Even Mitch McConnell with his, I don't know what to say about Mitch. He's a, he's a chameleon. He is somebody who I think puts his finger up to the wind and see which direction it's, it's going. Some people praise him for what he said after the vote, how he, he said morally and practically, Donald Trump was responsible for the rioting that took place in the Capitol, but he just couldn't bring himself to vote uh, to convict him. Now, that is, just, that is just nonsense because, as we know, his McConnell's rationale for voting to acquit was that since the president was out of office, he was a private citizen, and he should not be uh, tried in the first place, and he was not going to so basically, it was, a, it was a technicality. And what's so ironic about this technicality was because of Mitch McConnell that the trial itself started after Trump left office. Now, remember, this incident happened on the 6th of January. And the Democrats in the House were, you know, within a few days, they, they had their articles of impeachment ready to go. But Mitch McConnell, who was still at that time majority leader of the Senate, he said, no, 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 we can't do this because senators are on break and I can't call them back. So we're going to just wait. We have to wait until after the uh, President Biden's inauguration. You see, therein lies the the uh, uh, the little sleight of hands that uh, McConnell tried to pull off or did pull off by saying that um, he can't be we're not going to have a trial while he is still in office. But we're going to wait until he's all out of office so we have before we have the trial. And and that was that was what that was about. 
But again, it was a technicality, um, even though there were some people who um, really epitomized and, and just lived out and embodied that famous uh, phrase from Donald Trump that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and his supporters would still support him. And I think that's that's that was clear from some of these individuals. Some, I think, decided that they would not uh, vote for a conviction because of some jurisdictional issue or some constitutional issue. Even that was just a facade, I think. They were looking for some kind of cover to to um, stay in the good graces of Donald Trump. So they they just used that as, as an excuse because the jurisdictional issue had already been settled because uh, the Senate makes its rules about impeachment. And the Senate said that there is, we, we can... Um, try somebody who is a private citizen. There, there have been a couple of cases in history where that has happened. and uh, But the, the Republicans said, no, 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 we're not going to go along with that because uh, he's a private citizen. And keep in mind, ironically also, that these were some of the same people who were yelling and shouting, lock her up, lock her up, talking about Hillary Clinton when she was a private citizen. Not impeached, but she was a private citizen. And these same people are saying, Oh no, you can't uh, have a have a trial. You can't convict somebody who is a private citizen. But they had a much different view of it when it applied to Hillary Clinton. But anyway, the um, the trial was uh, was something to watch. It was historical. I think if people will either watch a recording or remember it, they will say they were part of history. This was the second time. I mean, only the first time, rather that. A president had been impeached twice and, and tried for uh, for his charges, uh, never in the history of our country. And that's going to go in the history books. And Donald Trump's name will be there as that person, that president who was tried and was impeached and tried for, but both times they were acquitted. And I think that the history books will also have the names of those individuals who, who showed spine, who, who said, we can't we can't let this act of Donald Trump go un, unpunished. There has to be some accountability here. These people came to Washington, D.C. at his request. Even the, those who were caught said the reason that they were there was because Donald Trump said they should be there. And they were there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to interfere with the constitutional and democratic uh, procedure of certifying the electoral votes, and that's in the Constitution. They had to do it. They didn't want that to happen. That's why Donald Trump chose that particular day to bring these people to D.C., and he knew full well that he was the, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the Boogaloo Boys, all of these right-wing extremist groups, and, and a lot of people who supported neo-Nazis and, and Confederates and um, the rebel flag, Confederate flag flying people. He knew they would be he knew that. And, and he wanted a show. He said, this is going to be wild. And sure enough, it went beyond wild. So for anybody who was unable or unwilling to connect the dots between his rhetoric, not just the rhetoric on the day of the trial, but all the things that he had said up to that time, all of the many examples of when he has encouraged people to be violent towards people who did not support him. And if you watch the videos, you will see that very clearly. I think the, the impeachment um, prosecutors, the lawyers for the House, for, for the Democrats, 
they did a masterful job. They did a wonderful job in presenting their case. I mean, they just knocked it out of the park. And the other side, those lawyers, I mean, they were just out of their league. I mean, they tried to compensate for being unprepared by being rude and being untruthful. You know, they, they could not argue uh, the facts many times. They couldn't argue against the facts many times. So they, they tried to show anger. They tried to show um, that the Democrats were, were not being fair. All those things. And, and, and keep in mind, those guys who were defending Trump were, were not constitutional lawyers. They were trial lawyers. And they thought they, for a long time, they really thought they were in a court of law. And you know, as I was watching it, I say, come on, man, this is not a courtroom. This is not a court of law. This is, this is an impeachment trial. And, and I think they had a hard time switching over uh, from their style as prosecutors, or not as prosecutors necessarily, but as defense attorneys um, in defending Trump as though he was being charged with some kind of criminal charge here. And it wasn't, at least not yet. By getting back to, to Mitch McConnell, how... Uh, how he afterwards he said, you know, Trump was was responsible for the insurrection, but he was not able to vote to convict. I think that's just really uh, the best example of cowardice. Someone put a two pictures side by side. Uh, the gentleman who was um, the the Capitol police officer who directed people to safety, and and, and the caption in his picture was. Uh, this is courage. This is a patriot. And then there's a picture next to it of Mitch McConnell. This is a this is a picture of a coward. <laughs> okay, this is somebody who who does not have the the courage of his convictions. Um, he's a politician. He wants to be. He wants to return to being uh, the Senate Majority Leader. And if it means kowtowing to those people who support Donald Trump, he will do it. So. You know, my level of respect for that man has just gone down so much. Some people try to applaud him for um, telling the truth about what Trump did. But also keep in mind that he had an opportunity to do this sooner. He had an opportunity back uh, several years ago to say, Trump, stop it. You are you're going to incite some people to do violence. You know, it's basically you know, how these um, politicians, these Republicans have... They basically created a monster in Donald Trump. They, they made uh, excuses for him. They enabled him. They made apologies for him. And they supported him. And then he unleashed this, this power that he had amassed over all, all, all of this time and, and basically sick the dogs on all the people who were giving him all of that, that praise, these, these Republican senators. And uh, again, those who who voted to acquit, I'm just wondering, you know, what, what does that say about what they think about Mike Pence? Here's Mike Pence who was, they were looking for this man. I mean, they were, they were searching for him, and, and Tuberville got a phone call, and he said the, uh, the vice president had been evacuated. He had to get off the telephone. Well, right after that is when Trump said again, uh, Pence is, is not being courageous. He is not being supportive enough. Now, his followers were reading his tweets. They knew, okay, uh, the commander-in-chief, our boss, has said that Mike Pence is not helping us out. 
So now we've got to start shouting, hang Pence, hang Pence. And these, that, was, that was why they did it, because he encouraged them to do it. And I, you know, people who, who even if they don't like Mike Pence, you have to say the image of this man being evacuated, wondering where his family was, and it was all because of Donald Trump. You know, it, and, and, and people who don't want to accept the fact that the people showed up that morning, that day, or the night before, whenever they, they arrived at the Ellipse in, in D.C., folks, they came there for one reason and one reason only, and that was to interrupt the, the process of certifying those votes. That's a constitutional process. And if you're there for that purpose, that means you are being an insurrectionist. It doesn't, there's a difference in standing on the House floor and saying, I object to these, these votes being count, being, being um, counted as it was in, in 2016. And, and when Biden was uh, chair of the Senate, he gaveled and told those individuals, you're out of order, we're going to go ahead and certify these votes. And none of those people who spoke at that time, Democrats, they weren't calling for uh, the, the election to be overthrown. They were saying, shine some light on some things that are going on in some of these states. And that's all they were asking. And so some people tried to do a whataboutism and tried to say there was equivalence between what Trump and his followers said about the electoral uh, certification, the certification of the electoral votes and what some of these representatives said in, in 2016, 2017. So um, it's, 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 well, it's a sleight of hand kind of thing. The other thing I... I found very disturbing. I heard this morning that uh, Ron Johnson, senator from uh, Wisconsin, uh, he was on a conservative radio talk show, and he has gotten to the point, I just don't know about this guy. He said that was not an insurrection. That was not a violent insurrection. That was not an armed insurrection that happened on January 6th. Those were his, his words. This was not an armed insurrection because in his view, and he... I'm not, the guy had the audacity to say, well, if they didn't have guns, then they were not armed. You get that? If they didn't have uh, guns, then it was not an armed insurrection. When the fact of the matter is some of those people, many of those people had guns. Many of them had weapons. When you have bats and when you have bear spray, you have all of these offensive weapons. That's being armed, Ron Johnson. And... And the man who, um, was, who, who was there with the Molotov cocktails, they found a guy who was there with a bunch of weapons in his car from Georgia. And, and then Ron Johnson is going to have the, the nerves to say that this was not an armed insurrection. How do people like that get into office? What kind of mental capacity do these people possess that they can convince voters in their state to say, I am the best representative in the Senate that you can come up with. I'm telling you, for people who live in Wisconsin, you know anybody who lives in Wisconsin, I have to ask them, how do you let somebody like Ron Johnson, who is now saying it was not an insurrection, folks, it was not a violent or armed insurrection, just a bunch of people got out of control and Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. Well, you know, and... and you know, the, the logic of, of that argument just, just flies out of the window, especially when you, you look at the fact that a, a recent poll showed that 30% of Texas Republicans 
who's a Republican in the state of Texas, felt that the terrorists were justified in doing what they did. Think of that. One in three, roughly, Texas Republicans feel that, at the time of the survey, felt, and I'm sure they still feel that way, that these people were justified in doing what they um, did. Nationwide, uh, 20% of Republicans nationwide praise the insurrectionists. Now, that, that begs the question, what kind of party, what kind of people supporting a party would say that those people who broke into the, the uh, Capitol, who were searching for Mike Pence and, and, and Nancy Pelosi, who rifled through uh, desks and took laptop computers, who were parading around with Confederate flags, who, who desecrated so many um, things there in, in, the, in the Capitol building itself. Uh, they damaged a statue or a bust of, of John Lewis the icon of the civil rights movement. Now, what kind of people say, that was good, that's praiseworthy. That, is a, that kind of action is something that we should really be proud of. 20% uh, nationwide of Republicans think that that's okay. Now, I don't know about the 80%, I don't know if, if that breaks down as a binary, it was or was not the thing to do because there are some people who have certain gradations of in certain degrees of approval or disapproval. So I imagine that 80% wasn't a solid group that says, don't do it. I'm sure it was broken down into uh, strongly agree or strongly disagree. But uh, going on with some more data that I came across, the um, uh, American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank in DC. Now keep in mind, this is not uh, the Brookings Institution or any other kind of liberal uh, think tank. This is a conservative think tank. In that survey, they found that 55% of Republicans agree that we have to use violence to save their view, and I emphasize their view, of the American way of life. So the question is, how many of you, what percentage of you think that we should use violence, that violence is necessary to uh, to, to save the American way of life. And, and, and you have to think about how do they interpret the American way of life. Um, many of these conservative extremists don't really uh, see America as, as a diverse nation. They don't really see the contributions that people of color have made and continue to make to this country. They don't see that uh, there are some, some outstanding people of, of high caliber, high quality, people of color who are uh, everyday people, not just prominent people, but everyday people out here making a difference with their families and in their communities. But that's not the American way of life that they long for. I think the American way of life they long for is that one, uh, the, the Leave it to Beaver, Donna Reed, back in the 50s where, you know, that the stay-at-home mom and, and, and get all, I'm not knocking stay-at-home moms, but that's the image, that's the American way of life that they figured ought to be there, and black people knew their places, and they were not to interfere, they were not to speak up and demand their rights. That's the American way of life that I think they want to go back to, and 55% of them believe that it's worth using violence to preserve that. They certainly are not fighting to preserve a diverse society because they despise diverse diversity within our country. Um, 
And then they ask a question, if elected leaders will not protect America, the people must do it themselves, even if it requires taking violent actions. Do you agree or disagree with that? Well, 40% of Republicans agree with that statement. Okay, 40% of Republicans, four out of 10 Republicans said, if elected leaders will not protect America, the people must do it themselves, even if it requires taking violent actions. And, and here's the key. What does it mean to protect America? Because many of them thought that supporting Donald Trump was going to save America because so many of them felt that if Donald Trump lost, America was just going to cease to exist. That Donald Trump was the Messiah. Donald Trump was the the knight on the, the on the white horse, the shining armor, that's going to come in and save this country. Even these evangelicals, these oh, don't get me started with them. These white evangelicals, they they said uh, Donald Trump was placed in that position of president, a president as president by God. That God placed Donald Trump in that position. Now keep in mind when. Barack Obama was president. They didn't say that God put Barack Obama in there, um, but only with uh, Donald Trump. And also, if, you, if you've been keeping up with it, none of these white evangelicals have said that Joe Biden is there because of the will of God. It's only about Donald Trump. Now, what does that say about these white evangelicals? It, it has nothing to do with their religion. It doesn't have anything to do with their religious views. I think it has everything to do with their politics and their um, their conservatism and even their right-wing extremism. So it, it it also goes to, all of this kind of leads to the question of what is the future of the Republican Party? What kind of party do they want to have? Uh, there's been some talk that some of the establishment Republicans, and these are the people before Trump got into office and even you know they were still conservative, but they weren't. Uh, uh, they were called establishment uh, Republicans, establishment conservatives who believe in small government and low regulations or no regulations and tax breaks for the rich and that sort of thing. That's traditional Republican dogma. But then you have Donald Trump who comes along and and uh, he's driven up the debt. He's driven up the deficit. Um, he is a he's an isolationist. Republicans like to be involved in things going on in the world. Some people call them globalists, but um, Trump says, no, we're not going, we're going to go it alone. We don't want to be in the Paris Peace Accord. We don't want to do anything that involves the rest of the world and, and particularly allies. So that's what the Republican Party used to see America as a leader on the international stage. And, and Trump has taken that away from them because uh, he is anything but a leader on the international stage. So some of these um, establishment Republicans, they want to, to break off and start a new party. And I heard, or actually saw on, on social media, somebody who supports uh, the, um, the radical wing, wing of the party um, say that, yeah, I hope they do leave. I want the establishment Republicans out. But because some of these people want, want there to be what I will call the the party of Trump, and and also the party of of um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and and these are people who are very much extremists. They do have support out there in, in across the land among other Republicans, and I would just call them the extremist caucus. 
you know, there's the establishment caucus and now there's the extremist uh, caucus. And I think there are more and more traditional Republicans moving over to the extremist caucus. You have people like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, Ron Johnson, Josh Hawley. You can just go down the list of these people who used to be traditional Republicans now see their future in the extremist caucus because um, they've aligned themselves with the extremists and the extremists have aligned themselves with Donald Trump. So if you're going to align yourself with Donald Trump and all he stands for, you have to also take that part of him that says, I embrace extremism. I think the Proud Boys are great. I think these were patriots out there who were um, who were invading the Capitol. And and if you remember, uh, recently, where this came into us to tell end of the, the trial, um, uh, the guy who is the um, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, and Trump apparently had this this telephone conversation and McCarthy again trying to he's trying to be a an ex, in this extremist caucus and being a tra traditional caucus at the same time he's trying to tell Trump really Mr. President you need to you need to call off the dogs you need to do something about these people that are tearing up our capital you need to do something and and Trump basically says these people care more about the election than you do apparently Kevin so it just shows the state of mind that Trump was in at the time he didn't see these people as insurrectionists. He didn't see them as seditionists. He didn't see them as terrorists. He didn't see them as rioters even. He saw them as people who were out doing what he wanted them to do, which was to be disruptive. And if they could catch Mike Pence, if they could get their hands on Nancy Pelosi and just turn this whole thing upside down, because again, the belief among the Proud Boys and all of these Oath Keepers and QAnon and all of these people was that on Inauguration Day, and even time leading up to Inauguration, that um, the military was going to step in and take Joe Biden and Kamala Harris away and bring back Donald Trump as, the, as president. They really believed that. And that's what motivated those people to, to be there. I mean, I've told you once I saw this, this guy on CNN who was one of these QAnon followers who was there on the 6th and he early morning he was there and he was just fired up he said this is the day you know and that was actually it was the inauguration day he was there in dc he said this is the day when it's all going to change you know just watch and this was this was like early morning before the inauguration actually took place at noon he was smiling he was happy he was you know just really uh, amped up because this was the day that donald trump was going to return and use the military, and the military was going to arrest those other people, Democrats, um, and, and Joe Biden and everybody else. And then at the last minute, he would be reinstalled, or Trump would be reinstalled and reinaugurated as the next president. That's what he really believed. And then they talked to the guy after the inauguration. And he was like a kid who just got, who did not get what he wanted for Christmas. You know, you, you know what that's like when you were little, you just wanted this, this particular gift from Santa Claus and you didn't get it. You kind of, you know, just bummed out about it. Well, that's the way he was. Uh, they, they talked with him and he said, I'm just, I just, I just don't know what to say. I really thought that the military was going to come in and, and, and install martial law and bring Donald Trump out of the, they thought Trump was already in D.C. and it would just be a matter of minutes for him to, to be uh, flown in by helicopter. 
and this is somebody who actually believed this stuff. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it, it's really not funny, you know, and I laugh about it and chuckle about it, but you really have some people out there who think like that, and that's that's dangerous, really is dangerous. So what what direction is the Republican Party going to take take in, in the future? Is it going to be the, the party of Trump? And apparently that's what um, Lindsey Graham thinks. He thinks this is clearly the party of Trump, and Lindsey Graham being the uh, ultimate um, lap dog, the ultimate uh, bootlicker, the ultimate person who wants to be at the center of power. He doesn't have much of it himself, but he wants to be near the people who have the power. You know, he he is saying that, you know, this is Trump's party, folks. You know, we I love the man. He's he's great. We have to follow him. And and he's even gone so far as to promote uh, Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, who lives in North Carolina, or is from North Carolina. She lives in another state, but she's from North Carolina. And he is promoting her to run against um, uh, another Republican who is going to fill the seat of Richard Burr, who retired from the Senate, who was retiring from the Senate in North Carolina. And he also voted to convict Donald Trump, uh, one of the seven who voted to convict him. And, and of course, uh, Lindsey Graham is saying that uh, the biggest winner out of all of this is going to be Laura Trump because she is now going to be able to uh, be in the primary run to replace um, Senator Burr, and she will uh, move to the U.S. Senate. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think the Trump brand, the Trump name, uh, is, is not, I mean, it, it's going to, it's lost its glow, even among those who thought he was uh, the second coming. Um, I think his, his whole brand, I think you're going to see some things going on with uh, criminal investigations, um, also civil investigations with him. Um, I think his brand and anybody affiliated with him is going to suffer. Now, talking about those other investigations, this is you know, why I point out to people who were so gleeful that uh, Trump was acquitted. Uh, and I, I remind them that that was not a court of law. Uh, those were not jurors of his peer. Uh, those not peers of his. Uh, these were, on the on the Republican side, these were sycophants. These were people who, most of them, were determined, no matter how bad things were, they were not going to vote to convict Donald Trump. Well, in court of law, you have a different dynamic there. You have a different situation. And a lot of things that happened at the impeachment trial, you would not see in the court of law. And a lot of things in the court of law you didn't see in, in the impeachment trial. But I think if you just pay attention to what's going on in Washington, D.C. with uh, Mr. Racine, who is the district attorney for the District of Columbia, uh, he is conducting an investigation into what role Donald Trump played in inciting the riot. And that's a, that's a criminal charge. That's not something about impeachment. And keep in mind, even um, Mitch McConnell talked about that. He alluded to that, that you know, once he's out of office, you know, you know, he, he's, he's, he's game. I mean, he can be, uh, and I think everybody knew that, that he can be investigated, he can be indicted, he can be charged, and there can be a trial. He can end up going to jail, folks. And, of course, there's a district attorney down in Georgia who is looking into um, the phone call that Trump made to the Secretary of State 
uh, in Georgia trying to get that that individual, Graf, Graffensberger, I think is his name, trying to get him to, you know, just saying, 11,000 votes, that's all I need. Can't you find 11,000 votes? Now, anybody says, can you find 11,000 votes? You know what he's talking about. Wink, wink. Can you somehow cheat and go and come up with 11,000 votes for me to win Georgia? So there's an investigation going on there, not to mention all of the other investigations of uh, defamation of character, sexual assault, uh, insurance fraud, bank fraud, all of these things that that this man is going to be facing that he was protected from when he was president of the United States. But now that he's a private citizen, I see some of these things starting to um, come forward. And and I think his financial empire is starting to crumble. And, and you know, he, he still has his, he's got 70-something million people who voted for him. And if you ask them to send, each to send them, send him $100, I mean, the guy will be sitting pretty. But I think from a jail cell, none of that money is really going to do him much good. So I tell people, you know, what what we need to see next and what we're waiting on next is what's going to happen in Georgia, what's going to happen in Washington, D.C., and also what's going to happen in New York, because there are some investigations going on by the New York State um, State Attorney as well as the District Attorney for the City of New York. And, and I imagine at some point some of those people are going to have some charges and, and he will have to go into court. He'll have to find some attorneys who will uh, be willing to, um, I don't know, turn into a pretzel or twist themselves in some kind of way to say Donald Trump didn't do that. But we shall see. But I, I just want to also um, just commend and just bring to your attention a couple of people who voted to convict, and that was Senator Cassidy from Louisiana and Senator Burr from North Carolina. Uh, didn't see that coming. A little bit with Cassidy because he voted uh, with the majority to allow the trial to go forward. You know, if you remember, that was a vote as to whether the Senate had, had the jurisdiction to hear this case, and he voted and said, yeah, you know, the, the prosecution made their case there. Well, uh, I, I tip my hat to him because, and I'm sure he expected this, the Louisiana uh, Republican Party has voted to censure him. And basically they're saying that we're mad at you because you voted to convict Donald Trump of, of the charge of insurrection. And that anybody who would dare go against Donald Trump, we're going to censure you. Now keep in mind, this is the same Republican Party maybe different people, but it's the same party that refused to censure David Duke, who was a Louisiana state senator, for his bigotry, and he was a grand wizard of the, the Ku Klux Klan, and they they would not censure him for his racist beliefs and his racist comments. But here they want to censure a man who stood up for his principles, who showed some backbone, and, and I just, uh, now he probably, 99% of the other time, he was a loyal follower of Donald Trump, and he probably voted for a lot of things that I I, I wish he hadn't voted for, that, but he showed his, um, most of the time he showed his uh, loyalty to Donald Trump. And of course, in Trump land, you know, loyalty is a one-way street. you you got to give it to him, but he doesn't have to give it back to you. So I think he will um, have some pushback, but it'll be interesting to follow who will Donald Trump select to run in a primary against him. And typically in these southern states of what I call former slave states, 
with Georgia being one of the big exceptions, uh, right now, if you're a Republican and you win the primary, there's a really, really good chance that you're going to win the general election, the way they've gerrymandered and the way they have all the voter suppression laws and so forth. They're going, it's going to be hard for a Democrat to, uh, to win down there. And, and, and mentioning, thinking about voter suppression, I think we've already begun to see how these legislatures around the country are introducing bills. Hopefully, hopefully they don't become law, but introducing bills to further restrict the right and the privilege of people to cast a ballot. And we're going to see more of that because they, they still believe in the big lie that somehow uh, there was something untoward, there was something nefarious about the election, that ballots were being uh, manipulated, machines were being manipulated, semi-trailers were driving ballots from one state to the other, dead people were voting, all those things, these Southern, not just Southern legislators, but these legislatures that are controlled by Republicans all across the country, I think we're going to see more of an effort on their part to further restrict the, uh, the right to vote. And that's why I hope they, the, the Congress can pass the John Lewis uh, voter registration law, I think that's the name of it, to, kind of to, to try to restore some of those principles that were contained in the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which the Roberts Court basically gutted. You know, if you remember back in uh, when, the Civil, when the Voting Rights Act was uh, fully enforced, uh, southern states, if they wanted to make any changes to their election processes and procedures, they had to get preclearance from the U.S. Justice Department to do that. Well, the Roberts Court said, you don't have to do that anymore. You know, just, just do what you want to do. And that's when you began to see all of these voter suppression bills and laws coming about to keep, um, to keep people from voting, particularly people of color. That's the thing that really ticks me off about this, is that this whole thing is about how do you suppress the black vote? You know, that's how, what can we do to, to reduce the number of black people voting? Again, doggone it, that was the reason we had the Voting Rights Act of 65 was to further strengthen the rights of black people to vote. Now, here they want to come back and take that down. You look at Georgia, for example. That's why Trump was so anxious to, to find those 11,000 votes that he thought would, would put him over the top. Over the top. And, and, and he knew that uh, Fulton County, Atlanta, which is a, a, a huge black, has a huge black population, those are the, the places that he was interested in. Um, in, in, in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia is where they were most concerned with. In, in Wisconsin, Milwaukee was where they were concerned. So they were targeting these areas where there was heavy black turnout. And what they're trying to do now is to do anything they can do and try to get away with um, to thwart and, and make it hard for black people to cast a ballot. First, they want to make it hard to register to vote. And then once you're registered, they're going to try to make it hard to even vote. And it, it's, it, it harkens back to the days of Jim Crow when, um, when we had to, to do all these crazy things, all these hoops that black people had to jump through in order to get registered to vote. And we're seeing a different form of it. They don't charge a poll tax anymore. They don't have a literacy test anymore. But they have these other kinds of things that have the same effect as the literacy test and the, the um the poll tax has, which was had rather, which was to reduce 
and to discourage the number of black people who could register to vote. You know, it just, just bothers me that, that we still have that kind of nonsense. I'm not surprised by it. Uh, it's just that it has become more mainstream now, and, and it's become more acceptable to go down that path. It's become more acceptable to express racist thoughts. Not that Trump created racism in this country, or, or Trump is responsible for racism in this country. No, he just made it more popular. He just made it easier. He just made it more convenient and, and, and less of a, of a taboo, uh, and, and less of a no-no to go out and say racist stuff. You know, he is responsible for that. I mean, yeah, he is a racist, no doubt about it. But he, in, in, by being so and to be elected, he has made it easier and made it more acceptable for other people to behave in racist ways. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a rant. Yeah, yeah, I have, a, <laughs> I have a rant. And I'm going to continue to rant until I, um, as long as these things are going on, I'm just, just sickened by it. Um, you know, the, the, the acquittal, again, just because he was found innocent doesn't mean he wasn't guilty. And I think we're going to see some things come out of that in the criminal courts, in the civil courts, that are going to shine more light on this. Nancy Pelosi the other day said she's going to establish a 9-11 type of commission to look into what happened. Uh, Benny Thompson, uh, I read today, I heard today that along with the NAACP, they're filing charges against Donald Trump for things that he did um, with this insurrection. So now that Trump is not in office, and of course, one of Trump's lawyers said on the opening day, um, don't try to impeach him. Um, don't try to convict him of impeachment. Let the courts handle that. Let the courts, in the way he put it, courts have a way of dealing with people like Trump. <laughs> That's basically the way he put it. And, and sure enough, the, 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 um, the courts are going to deal with him. And the consequences are going to be far greater than being convicted for the second time in an impeachment trial. Even if he had been convicted, he was not going to lose his freedom. Okay, He was not going to go to jail over that. Now, with this, uh, these other charges hanging over him or these other investigations hanging over him, this guy could be going to be fitted for an orange jumpsuit. And I think his, um, his followers will obviously be unhappy about that. They will probably have a march and probably be disruptive of the judicial system and say that those people are in the deep state. And that's one of the favorite phrases. You hear it all the time, the deep state. You kind of want to hear, sound like James Earl Jones with his brilliant voice, the deep state. You know, they, this was a concoction of QAnon and, and these other conspiracy theorists that there's some kind of, cabal out there. There's kind of a group of people who are trying to um, disrupt our country and steal the uh, steal elections. QAnon believes that you know Democrats are stealing babies and drinking their blood and pedophile and they're pedophiles and all these this craziness and and there are people who buy into this stuff. I mean it's it's just it's not hilarious. It's actually dangerous. And I don't know whether it's going to take what it's going to take for some of these people to be snapped out of this, but I think as we move forward, we can see some signs like the Proud Boys, they are, I read the other day that they're starting to splinter because some people are very disappointed and think that they were duped by 
Donald Trump because none of the stuff that he said was going to happen actually happened. They thought he was going to actually be inaugurated as the 46th president. And they're very disappointed that he did not possess the power. And, he, and they, they thought he had the power to uh, call out the National Guard, to do all these things, to disrupt the inauguration and have them place him in, in the place as the 46th president. And when that didn't happen, it's like, you know, somebody who used to believe in, in magic or somebody who believed in, in whatever, and then they, they pull the curtain back and they realize, oh my goodness, this is not what I thought it was. I've been lied to. I've been bamboozled. I've been taken advantage of. And, and that's what's going to happen, I think. There will be a certain percentage of them that will um, uh, wake up. You know, the, the, uh, the insurrectionists up in, in Dallas who um, own the real, real estate company who flew on the jet to go up to the insurrection. She now says, you know, I, I'm sorry I did that. I wish I hadn't done it. I, sh I should have been thinking better. I'm upset that Donald Trump made me do it, basically. And, man, I tell you, it's just going to be interesting to see how many people start to, and I think especially those who have charges, misdemeanor and felony, um, federal charges hanging over their heads, I think that's going to uh, snap some of them back into reality. But I think for others, uh, particularly with the Oath Keepers, um, it will just only embolden them. Many of them just, they just don't believe that Joe Biden is the president or that Joe Biden should be president, that the only person who's uh, qualified to be president in this country is Donald Trump. And uh, But anyway, I, as we said in Mississippi, bless their hearts. That's all I can say is bless their hearts. But the rest of us who have, who try to use logic and who try to use common sense, who try to look at, uh, you know, America is not, not a perfect country, um, but, but there are some features of it that we all need to protect. There are some features of it that we need to preserve. And, and trying to overthrow the government through force, uh, it's not the way to do it. It is not the way to do it. And, you know, we, we just have to keep that in mind, that there are more of us than there are of them. Most of us don't believe that somebody is using lasers from outer space to, to start forest fires out in California. Most of us believe that Joe Biden actually won the election. Most of us believe that Donald Trump is unfit to be president of the United States. You know, and, and that's what we have to keep in mind. But we also have to know that there are some people out there who are living on the fringes who, uh, for whatever reason, they believe that Donald Trump is, some actually think he thinks that he's the Messiah, that he's the second coming, that he's the only person who is fit to be the president because as the white evangelicals like to tell you, he was sent here by God. God put him in the position of president to change this country. And they don't see uh, God as having put Barack Obama or Joe Biden into office. But again, that's where we are. I'm going to stop now. We're, we're warming up a little bit here in Texas. I, I'm going to have a, um, I'm going to be interviewing uh, a pastor friend of mine Miss Reverend Damon Freilon, um, he's been on one of my other pod, other episodes before my podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what a pastor is doing to stand up 
and fight for social justice. Our pastors, whether in the black church or the white church or Hispanic church, wherever they happen to be, uh, are they doing enough to to express their views and to take bold step, steps and to call out bigotry and to um, decry and condemn things like what happened in Washington, D.C. Are they, are they afraid to say Black Lives Matter? Are they afraid to say, um, I believe in, in equality of, of all people regardless of their sexual orientation, gender, uh, identification, race, any of those things? How many, how many preachers are going to say they believe as Christ believed, that, um, that we should love our neighbors and that uh, we should care for the foreigner who comes to our land. Instead, we inject the politics into it and, and some of the things that people will um, do is substitute their uh, religious beliefs with their political beliefs. And sometimes they, they, are, they are perfectly lined up because I always tell people Jesus was, was a radical. You know, Jesus was not, he was not timid. He was not afraid. He was bold. He, he spoke out. He spoke out against uh, injustice. And he spoke up for the, the children and for the foreigner. And um, there are people today who are afraid to stand up and be Christ-like. Anyway, that's it. We're going to talk about that this weekend. And I'll have that uh, episode ready for you next week sometime. Until then, um, take care. Take your shots, wear your mask. Um, if you need to contact me, please do so at AJ Harris. No, A Harris 007. I'm sorry, A Harris 007 at yahoo.com. A Harris 007 at yahoo.com. It's been my pleasure. We will talk to you another time. Bye.